The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Reagan presidency, weirdly, meant I had to stay put at Athens from the years 1981 I'm Mike Hipple, and on this podcast, we'll dig a little deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of the artists I feature in that book, as well as artists whom I love and respect. Today, I am very excited to have Burtis Downs on the show. As a huge fan of the band R.E.M., I've known about him for years. He's kind of like the band's manager, kind of, well, I'll let him explain it. Oh, I got called all kinds of things during the course of uh, the 40 plus years, uh, I've been their lawyer early days. I've been functioning as a manager, but I've never really had the title manager in a way. I mean, people generically refer to me as manager. I think I've been credited most often as being an advisor. Uh, and I once on a liner, set of liner notes was uh, credited. Michael used to have fun with the liner notes and he called me the uh, secretary of defense. I'm not quite sure why, but I guess he was having fun with like thinking of, uh, you know, fanciful titles for people. So a variety of things, but I've always been, I mean, I kind of refer to myself as the fifth Beatle um, of the band, of the organization. They've, uh, you know, it's a, it's not technically a partnership, but I, I certainly work a lot of phone and computer and meeting instruments um, and help them navigate what they, they kind of function as the board of directors uh, as to what they want to do and sort of set the, the policies. And then I can help them, you know, make those things real in the, in the world of commerce. Uh, that's kind of my role. And that has been really going all the way back. It's a very similar job in some respects to what I was doing in the early and mid eighties when they were kind of just getting started out. Just it's evolved over the years. And moving on to his pivotal moment, we draw the line between how Ronald Reagan led Burtis to R.E.M. Yes, that Ronald Reagan. A pivotal moment in my life that led me to having the life I had from this moment forward was the election of Ronald Reagan. What I mean by that is that it really messed up my plans for after law school. I had gone to law school to become, um, first of all, I'd gone to law school because I got out of Davidson, my college, which I loved. And I, you know, in some ways I wished my four years at Davidson um, hadn't ended. And in fact, one of the things Davidson has never done in law school, they've, they've always maintained they just are purely a college. That's it. Not a, not a university. 
if they had a law school, a lot of people would just stay and do the whole seven years there. But, you know, you got to you got to turn out of the nest at some point. And so I left Davidson to go and I didn't really want to just get a job and maybe go back to law school someday. I wanted to go ahead and do it. And that's very these days. Most people go out and do something else and then go to law school later in their 20s. But I went straight from Davidson that summer straight up to law school. And I decided to go to Georgia because I had in-state tuition and I was not going to graduate with a ton of debt. It was very cheap back in those days. And it was a good enough law school. It was fine. It was it was a good law school. But all along at Georgia, my goal, my career goal had been to be a legal aid, legal services, public interest lawyer. That's just always what I've been interested in. Ever since first year in college, when I'd taken a sociology course on poverty and read The Other America by Michael Harrington, um, which had only been out a few years, this would have been in 74 that I was a freshman in college, I had been really interested in issues involving equal justice. I don't think the term was coined yet, but social justice, you know, uneven playing fields, different life results for people based on their birth, based on the color of their skin, based on their ethnicity. I'd, I just, I'd always been interested in those things and I wanted to do something with my law degree. Uh, and in the, in the days of the late seventies, early eighties at Georgia law school, there were really only a couple of options for clinical work. We now have about uh, 15 or 20 different types of law clinics that law students can get their, you know, get their feet wet and actually practicing law their second and third year. Well, I did legal aid where you do intake interviews with people who don't have a lawyer, but that they need a lawyer and they have a landlord tenant dispute or a minor criminal thing. Um, and I, you know, I kind of learned alongside of real lawyers uh, and other and law professors. So that was all kind of leading me toward a career where I would get a job maybe as a law clerk first, but I wanted to eventually work in a uh, legal services, legal aid office somewhere. And I had certain geographical areas I was interested in, Mid-Atlantic, Virginia, where I had a lot of family, DC, which I like a lot, certainly East Coast oriented. But I sent around resumes all over the country to organizations like that, that were looking, obviously this was pre-internet, it didn't have, it was not the same, uh, it was hard copy resumes with hard copy letters in envelopes sent by US mail. And I got, uh, uh, I was already pretty bummed that uh, Reagan had won because I had supported the other guy, our incumbent, Jimmy Carter from Georgia. And um, by then I was a pretty confirmed Democrat, even though I'd been raised uh, by parents that were kind of vaguely Republican, but I didn't know any better until I went to college. And so when Reagan won, it had a very direct effect on my career plans because um, none of these legal services, legal aid offices were hiring. I got a lot of nice letters back saying they'd gotten my resume and thank you so much. We'd love to hire you, but we're not sure we're going to be around next year. There's a hiring freeze and we're certainly not taking anybody new on because of the uncertainty over the election of Reagan, who has promised he's going to essentially cut a whole lot of our kind of work. So um, it's now spring of 81. I'm getting ready to graduate from law school. And I don't know what I'm going to do from a job standpoint, but I know that I need a job. And the law school asked me if I would like to stay and teach a first year course called Legal Research and Writing. And I accepted for two reasons. Uh, one, I need, well, uh, three reasons. One, I needed a job. It did not pay very much, but it paid enough to pay rent. Two, I wanted to get over my fear of public speaking. I had always been petrified of public speaking. When I got called on in class, both at Davidson and in law school, I would have an anxiety attack. I didn't know that's what it was called at the time, but an anxiety or panic attack. I just hated it. I really didn't like to have to speak 
and have to hear my words coming out of my mouth and think what other people are thinking about me as I'm saying these words. So I thought, you know what? If I accept this teaching job, I'm going to get over this fear of public speaking. I'm going to have to. I'm not going to have any choice. I can't go out there and freak out every single day and be a puddle on the floor. I'm just going to have to get over this. It's going to, you know, make me, you know, better at that skill. And then third, I thought it'll be kind of fun to stay in Athens. By then, RM had gotten started. I was friendly with those guys. I knew those guys. They were starting to have some legal needs. I was just finished law school and just passed the bar. I was happy to give them some friendly advice. Not that I was a big expert on anything, but I was certainly willing to learn. I started going to seminars as the young lawyers do and as old lawyers do. You go to seminars to do professional development. To We call it continuing legal education. And I went to some seminars, one in Georgia, a bunch in New York, um, some in Nashville, basically to learn how to do this stuff, to learn contracts, to learn the basics, and also meet people who could serve as informal mentors to me. And um, so by having this kind of like economic baseline of a small salary from the law school, some hours of the day devoted to teaching, which I enjoyed, some hours of the day devoted to trying to get over my fear of public speaking, which was my teaching, which I did successfully over the next two years. I, I ended up having all this free time to start the early, early days of representing REM with some of their very early legal needs. So the Reagan presidency, weirdly, meant I had to stay put at Athens from the years 1981 to 1983, which were the earliest days of REM when they started asking me questions because they knew me um, that I could perhaps help them with. And I did. Um, and so that was a pivotal moment for me. And I am still here 43 years later. I mean, I graduated from law school in, in 81 and it's now 2023. So 42 years later, I'm still in Athens doing essentially the same thing. Um, obviously the questions are different. Uh, the lay of the land is different in terms of the music business and landscape, the legal landscape. Uh, but you know, they're still the same guys. They've created all this incredible music over the years, and I still help them run their business. Yeah, that was it was I was thinking what really was the pivotal thing in there. And really, if I hadn't stayed in Athens, I would I would have gone off and been in Roanoke, Virginia or Washington, D.C. or um somewhere in Georgia, working in a legal aid office. And I would have still been a fan of R.A.M. I would have liked to have followed their career because I liked their music. I knew them socially. I knew, knew them from uh, around town and everything. But I don't, I don't think I would have had a professional relationship with them because I would have been off practicing law somewhere. But that was, you know, that didn't work out that way. But it, it worked out the way it did, which I'm really happy about. And I also got to have a lot to, because of the band's uh, interest in public interest matters and charity matters. We, we were pretty simpatico on all those things. And they did a lot of things in those areas. It wasn't exactly practicing law at all, but they liked shining the spotlight on, on people doing good work and doing benefits. As early as like 83, 84, they were doing benefits for people and causes and, and issues. And so I was kind of a part of all that and, and you know really enjoyed that part of my work. And certainly some of the career highlights involved a lot of those kinds of things. And uh, so it all kind of ended up coming full circle in certain ways. What's his role in the REM universe these days? Well, 
I, I refer to myself uh, as somebody who is gainfully retired. If you'd asked me 12 years ago when the band broke up or called it a day, they never actually used the phrase broke up. They said they were calling it a day. And, but, you know, they essentially decided to quit making music as R.E.M. They still are very proud of the music they made. They made 15 albums and a bunch of you know, live shows for decades. And they, they have a great legacy. And um, it, no, it's definitely not as hectic and as full time of a job as it once was when we were touring, making records, hiring people, fairly big staff, all dedicated to, you know, the, the next REM thing uh, and the current REM thing. Now it's all past REM things. It's all legacy at this point, but I'm kind of gainfully retired. I, I, I've got plenty on the REM um, plate. Uh, I, I'm very involved in some, uh, some charitable and political type things, a lot of times centering around education and lately democracy, uh, you know, boards I'm on and, and things that I care about and support locally uh, with public schools and, and nationally with public schools for that matter. And there's still a lot of REM stuff though, more than I would have ever expected. I did not know that we would be this busy this many years later. Of course, I also did not know that streaming was going to uh, take off to the extent that it has and that it, you know, there, there would still be such an interest in the band's material for, for use in film and television. Uh, we don't do ads. The band has never done commercials, but they love it when their stuff gets used in good films and, and television shows of all types and budgets and sizes and, and uh, countries, frankly. Uh, and then finally, we have quite a little business uh, once in a while on these 25th anniversary. Uh, people love hearing the demos or the uh, songs in different versions, remixes, uh, live shows with new artwork, maybe some lyrics. Uh, we've, we've had a lot of fun going back to the Murmur anniversary, which would have been 2008. That would have been the 25th of Murmur. And right now we're getting ready to put out the 25th anniversary of, um, of uh, Up!, which came out in 98. So we're going to have the anniversary edition of that in November. And, and that's one of those surprising records that we didn't know how much enthusiasm there would be. It was the first one that Bill had left the band. Uh, and so it was the band as a three-legged dog, as they liked to say at the time, because they weren't quite sure how it was going to go without Bill as one of the pillars of the band uh, creatively. And um, people love that record and there's a lot of affection for it. Uh, and people are really looking forward to seeing what's included in the 25th anniversary package. So all that takes a small staff of us working uh, daily. There's, there's still stuff that we work on. Like I say, not nearly as hectic as it was back in the heyday, the golden years, whatever, uh, but, but work to do and, and still a lot of fun. R.E.M. officially called it a day back in 2011. I wanted to see how Burtis felt about those last days. Well, I had stages to kind of get used to it. We'd been talking about it for about two years, a very small group of people, um, their um, accountant uh, or business manager, myself, um, our corporate or lawyers, our entertainment lawyers. We'd, we'd been kind of putting it in place for a couple of years, but in terms of, uh, it, it was also certainly right before social media really took off or right, maybe the early days of social media, but you know, it wasn't, uh, we, we kept it very close to the vest. We, we did not want it to dribble out and we did not want to be responding in press releases to rumors and this kind of stuff. They, they made their last record. They uh, committed to it, had committed to a greatest hits for Warners. Uh, they got all that recorded and they'd been thinking about it for a while. It, pretty much at the end of the 19, of the 2008 tour, they, they pretty much knew that was their last tour. They weren't going to do that anymore. 
they knew they had one more record at Warner Brothers um, and a greatest hits that they, uh, you know, had obligated themselves to. And they really got into making that last record. Their last two were made with a producer named Jack Knife Lee, who to this day is a very good friend. And he'd made Accelerate with them, uh, their penultimate record, as it turned out. And then he made Collapse and Denial, both of which they were very proud of, had a lot of great songs. Um, and uh, then they, they decided they, they had done this for 31 years by the time they, um, they officially stopped. And they um, thought this was a good time to go out uh, as opposed to just keeping on going, touring every few years, having it more and more where people just want to hear the old stuff. And plenty of bands are okay with that. Um, our guys just decided it was time to stop if uh, uh, that was kind of the dynamic that was shaping up. And they were, they were very satisfied with what they'd done. And they also knew they were still relatively young and could do other things. And they all have continued to do other things in music. And that's been, that's been neat to kind of follow as well. Lately, Burtis has been heavily involved in issues regarding public education. I wanted to find out more about this and his involvement in the issue. I guess it's born of a, a little bit of the fact that I went to public school. It was good enough for my family. I, had, I was raised by a single mom, and I don't think we ever considered. Uh, I mean, it was just I went to the local school that I got on the school bus for and, and went to little DeKalb County, both middle school and high school. And uh, then when it was time here in Athens to... Our, we had kids. Um, we have two girls, and uh, they went to public school here. Athens is a uh, interesting public school environment in that we are uh, we live right next to a county that is um, a very affluent county called Oconee County, and um, it has the quote unquote good schools. And sure, sure enough, they do great on standardized testing, uh, and that's 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 a true fact. And the Athens schools do have a very different demographic. Uh, and they are not considered as quote unquote good schools. If you go on like school rating services and, and places like Zillow and the great school sites and all that stuff, most of that's because of standardized testing. Um, I looked, I liked trying to understand how stuff works. And I knew that from my own experience with my own kids in school, they had great teachers, they had great schools. And yet uh, they they often were talked down or realtors would steer people toward the county right next door with the quote unquote good schools. And it, it, that just kind of, that just always rankled me. And I started kind of looking further into it and realized how much politics is involved. I'd, I'd kind of committed myself, I don't know, 15 or so years ago to like, politicians disappoint you, you help somebody get elected, they turn into a different person once they do get elected. I'm just going to focus my energy on public education instead. Well, I found out pretty quickly that if you're going to focus on public education, you got to also be focused on politics because uh, politicians produce policies and policies produce rules and rules dictate how teachers can teach. Uh, we're seeing that play out you know, many, many years later in a completely different circumstance with all the uh, critical race theory and, and wokeism or anti-wokeism or whatever that kind of stuff is. But I really, really um, support teachers. Um, I think by and large, we the, the I know that in our district at, in Clark County, uh, at Clark Central High School, the teachers we've lost have not been bad teachers. They've been good teachers, but they're sick of it. And they're sick of the, it's the same story playing out locally that you hear about nationally, a teacher shortage of teachers who are mid-career, 
who are hitting their stride, who really know how to teach effectively in their 15th or 20th year of teaching, and they're walking away to, to move, to go do other things. And that to me is really a bad sign. It's, it's a sad thing um, in that you've got to have uh, good teachers to have good schools. And there's, I'll, I'll fall back uh, on a cliche, but it's, cliches are often true. This one is a teacher's working conditions are a child's learning conditions. That's always been something that I've, um, you know, I've really uh, want teachers to be better paid, better respected, have more freedom to teach children, to build relationships with children, not to be so focused on testing and measurement. Uh, the same way, you know, we wouldn't consider a kid behind if their teeth grow in uh, slower than the their peers' teeth because they grow in. It's developmental a lot of times. My, my second daughter, who's smart as hell, didn't really read till the end of first grade. It was just developmental. You know, she's a later bloomer than other kids. Um, so anyway, that's a long way of saying um, I believe in public education. I don't believe in giving up on public education. I certainly don't believe in a lot of efforts to privatize public education, uh, which really just further uh, furthers the divide between the haves and have-nots and the people going to the good schools and the people going to the not so good schools. And often that breaks down or most often that breaks down among racial and economic lines. Finally, I'll close by saying there's a great quote from Thurgood Marshall. I won't get the wording exactly right, but it's easily findable by anybody listening. But Thurgood Marshall in dissent in the Milliken against Bradley case uh, says he was the lawyer who argued Brown versus Board successfully. And years later, when he was on the Supreme Court, he said um, that if children cannot, if we cannot learn together as children, how will we, how will we ever live together as people? And it's something along those lines. And I, I still very much believe that. And uh, I know my daughters um, have both benefited greatly by their education in our, in our public schools, whatever the ratings say, whatever the test scores say. Um, and in fact, my youngest daughter, I mean, my oldest daughter is a first grade teacher. She's up in the Boston area now uh, teaching first grade in a big public um, elementary school and loves it and is, is really good at it. Um, and, and we were actually surprised when she chose to go into teaching, but we were also thrilled and supportive and hopefully she'll still want to be doing it when she's uh, my age. Uh, it, well, hopefully she'll be retired by the time she's my age, but she'll be a, a, a career teacher, I hope job is still worth it. And that's it for today's episode. Many thanks to Burtis Downs for taking the time to talk with me. I really love chatting with him for this episode. And just a quick reminder that you can also buy my book on 80s musicians and where they are today, 80s Redux, and its sequel, Live Through That, on 90s Artists, wherever you buy your books. And if you like this show, please leave a review where you're listening. It always helps others find us. And of course, subscribe so you'll know when the latest episode comes out. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.